You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. Agatner of Shabbos, delighted to be with you. It's Mashi Lipsker. And here we are in the three weeks. The three weeks of mourning for the Holy Temple. The three weeks that began really on Shabbos, but because we don't mourn on Shabbos, we fasted on Sunday. And we'll continue... Unless Mashiach comes in the middle, which is a very good possibility, until Tisha B'Av. And the times that we live in are always reflected in the Torah portions that are read. We've mentioned before that the first Chabad Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, once said, Member Dafleb Mitterzeit, which means, we have to live with the times. From his brother, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, the Chassidim learned that what he meant was we must live with the portion of the week, the times of the Torah. The reading contains pertinent messages for us collectively and individually. During this time that we mourn the Holy Temple, that we remember, that we introspect, is also a time of the promise of the future being able to be accessed. After all, it is up to us. The collective Torah study, mitzvahs, and martyrdom of all the generations has created great light. And the Rambam says to us that we must always look at the world as if it is in perfect balance and any one good deed can tip the scale for good for all of mankind. And so today's the day, the time is now, and it's up to us. What do we do with the energy of this time? What's required of us? We know that when the prophecies of doom and destruction were being shared, people did not believe that Jerusalem could, God forbid, be destroyed, that, God forbid, the temple could be taken away. But at the same time, there were predictions of a great future, predictions of the time of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the temple, the third temple, the eternal temple, a time of peace, a time of clarity, godliness, holiness, a time of understanding, a time of thirst to know more about God, which would pervade all of creation and would touch and deeply inspire all of mankind. And so at the same time that the terrible destruction did take place and things that we never thought would happen have happened, and in our lives as well, things we never thought would happen to us have happened. Nevertheless, it is imperative that we muster up positivity, knowing that God is good 
and that there is a future. The question is, how do we do our part to actually make it happen? One of the things that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who turned everything into a positive, who never gave up, who refused always to allow us to be, God forbid, despondent or feel helpless or feel that we have reached the end of our potential. One of the things that he taught us to do during these times is to actually study about the building of the temple. It is written that he in whose time the temple is not rebuilt, it is God forbid like the temple was destroyed in his time. And that studying about the measurements of the temple, the holy vessels in the temple, studying about what was permitted and not permitted, getting involved in the architecture gives us a different appreciation and puts us into that space of yearning for the temple more. And studying about it is part of rebuilding it. Yearning for the time of Mashiach. Yearning, being positive, knowing it can happen, is part of the work that we need to do. And so, let's begin with studying something from Hilchas Beis Habechira, from the laws of the building of the temple. It is a positive mitzvah to build a temple for the Lord, one of the 613 mitzvahs, a place appointed for offering the sacrifices therein, and a place to which three times a year the Jewish people would be oilerregel, they would make pilgrimages, festival pilgrimages. And the Pasuk says, and they shall make for me a sanctuary, the Osuli Mikdash, the Osuli Mishkan. The Mishkan, that temporary holy temple, that tabernacle, which our teacher Moshe made, has been described in detail in the Torah. But that was only temporary, as it is written, for you have not yet arrived. What happened when the Jews did arrive? They entered the land of Israel, and they took that Mishkan, that tabernacle, and they set it up in a place called Gilgal. And there it remained for the 14 years of Kibush Vechiluk the years in which they conquered and divided the land amongst the tribes. After those 14 years, from there they came to a place called Shiloh, Shiloh. In Shiloh, they now built a temple of stones, but without a roof. They spread the curtains of the Mishkan over the temple of stone. The Mishkan in Shiloh stood 369 years. So we had the 14 years in Gilgal, the 369 years in Shiloh. But when Eli the high priest passed away, 
that Mishkan, that temple in Shiloh was destroyed. From there they came to a place called Nov. And there they built another structure, another sanctuary. When Shmuel, Samuel the prophet, passed away, this was destroyed. And then they came to a place called Givon and built a sanctuary there. And from Givon, they came to the permanent holy temple in Yerushalayim. The days of Nov and Givon together come to 57 years. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. Lovely to be with you today on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Pinchas. And Pinchas is always read in the three weeks. So we want to draw a lesson. We want to draw inspiration from this very special Parsha about a very special person. It is named Pinchas. Pinchas was a grandchild of Aharon. Pinchas, a great nephew of Moshe. In this Parsha, at the beginning of the Parsha, he is going to be installed as a Kohen, as a priest. It's also the second Parsha in the whole book of Bamidbar in which the Jewish people are counted. We're also going to hear the laws of inheritance because the people were about to enter the land. And, of course, the imminent transfer of leadership from Moshe to Yehoshua. Let's go back into last week's parsha. In last week's parsha, we remember that the prophet Bilam advised King Bullock to find a way to entice the Jewish people into sin. He had been unsuccessful in bless, in cursing them. In fact, every time he opened his mouth to God forbid curse, a very lofty blessing and prophecy came out of his mouth. It was he who spoke to us about a great glorious future, the time of Mashiach. So Bilam, before leaving back in great disgrace to his country, advised Bullock to entice the Jewish people into sin. What was the plan? Bullock had the Midianite women and the Moabite women seduce the men and then entice them into idol worship. And then, unfortunately, a fatal epidemic broke out against the Jewish people. And in last week's parasha, Moshe did act. He brought the offenders to trial. But then, Zimri, from the tribe of Shimon, a prince from the tribe of Shimon, challenged Moshe. And he publicly consorted with the Midianite princess Cosby. It was a time of pain and crisis. And that's when Aaron's grandson Pinchas burned with passion. He remembered 
that such offenders may be executed without trial. He remembered he had learned that. And he actually, in his passion, killed both Zimri and Cosby. After he did that, he prayed to Hashem for the epidemic to stop, and it did. And because Pinchas had been born before the gift of priesthood had been bestowed upon Aaron and his sons, he wasn't eligible for the priesthood. It was just Aaron and his sons, and he was a grandson. But the Parsha begins with the reward that Hashem gives to Pinchas. As a reward for his passion, his action, his zealousness, Hashem now installs Pinchas into priesthood and gives him his blessing of peace. What happened? There was Moshe, the leader of the Jewish people. There was this epidemic. There were wise men and elders. It was a time of crisis. Moshe was being challenged. And at that moment, Hashem made Moshe forget what needed to be done. Pinchas was much younger than Moshe. But it didn't prevent him from acting in his presence. Once it became clear to him that Moshe had forgotten what to do. We need to draw a lesson from this. The name Pinchas should inspire us not to be afraid when we see greater people who aren't speaking up when something is wrong that needs to be sorted out. Each one of us, if we have the passion, and it is something that we understand according to Torah, has a place. We need to take a step up and show great leadership. We should not be afraid. It could be that just as in this case, where Hashem was keeping the leaders quiet, in order for someone who was maybe less qualified to seize the moment and answer destiny's call to greatness. You know, when Hashem gives us a chance to make something right, to speak up, to act with leadership, we must, as Pinchas did, throw ourselves into it with total Masira Snefesh, total self-sacrifice. It is not a time to be humble. It is not a time to be modest. It is a time to open our eyes and say, if providence brought it to my doorstep, if Hashem opened my eyes and made me feel this incredible passion, how can I not respond? If Hashem felt that he wanted to show it to me, He must have given me the wherewithal ahead of time to be able to do something. I must draw on resources that I haven't used till now. According to Torah, it is forbidden to kill. According to Torah, we have to think about it. We have to inquire. We have to investigate. A court 
that God forbid killed even once in 70 years was called a destructive court. It's not that Torah takes killing lightly. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. Torah is very strict about protecting life and protecting the rights of people to a fair trial and so on. Let's go back into the story. When Pinchas killed Zimri and Cosby, he didn't just run out and do it. He ran to Moshe when he saw what was going on. And Moshe reminded him or confirmed what he already knew. He told him that while Torah does allow someone who is totally overcome with this zealousness, Torah allows someone to slay someone in the act of relations with a non-Jewish woman, this law cannot be taught. It cannot be instructed. You can't say, go and do this. So I can't, said Moshe, tell you to go and do it. Our sages, in fact, disapprove of such an act. Secondly, that offender may kill the zealot in self-defense. In other words, Pinchas, by killing Zimri, was doing something that Torah didn't require him to do. Our sages disapprove of, and he was actually endangering his own life. But what made him do this gives us an incredible lesson as well. He acted out of zeal. He didn't go mad, but he felt that the honor of God was being desecrated at that moment, and you cannot allow a chilol Hashem of this sort to go unanswered. Pinchas ignored the voice of caution. And the result, as we saw, was he put an end to the sinful behavior of the people. He stopped the plague that was eating them alive. And he earned kahuna priesthood for himself and his children after him. So clearly... He did the right thing. To understand this, we have to look at our relationship to God. It works in three ways. First of all, there's us, then there's him, and then there's the Torah. And it's a three-way relationship that we have to address at different times in various ways. There's the Torah. The Torah is Hashem's own book of instruction. And that book tells us, teaches us how to behave. It certainly teaches us how to relate to the world and relate to people. And it tells us how we're going to fulfill our purpose in this world. But the way Torah teaches us is through our intellect. We study the Torah. We try and understand what it says. We try and follow it. If we don't understand it, we try and inquire, study it further, compare it, seek instruction from others. But it's all 
as much as we understand. And some people understand more, some understand less. But there's one thing that we all have which is equal, and that is a spark, a part of God within us. That is our neshama. And Torah speaks to our intellect. But at the same time, it's not just a rational relationship with God. There has to be above rational, a supra-rational relationship to Hashem. Yeah, there are times when Torah does demand that we sacrifice our lives and that we give up our lives rather than commit adultery or, God forbid, murder or worship idols. But even that is something that makes sense. But then there's God himself. And what's the goal that God put us into this world for? And that is to make a home for him. And there are times, most of the time, we function on a logical level. And we understand there's only certain times that we have to sacrifice our lives. But in other times, like even break the Torah, like God forbid, if a person is ill on Shabbos, you must go for medical help. You must put them in a car and take them to the hospital. It's that idea the Torah dictates that you break one Shabbos so that he can keep many Shabbosim. However, there is a level of connection with God that we all need to access, especially in our times. The Jewish people at that time were about to enter the land. And this is the first time that the Torah actually indicates that there is a place for going beyond what the Torah says, as it were. A place where we, supported by Torah, as it were, there is a place for acting with zealousness. After Pinchas heard the prophecies that Bilam spoke about the future times of Mashiach, he understood that the reason that the land was about to be conquered was in order for that future time to actually materialize. And he understood that the only way to actually get this job done was to go beyond rationale, to identify with God himself and his objectives and sensitively to see that if something is presented to you and you see it and it is, God forbid, a desecration of God's name, an interference with going forward to bring this world to a situation of holiness, brotherhood, joy, godliness, it's time to act beyond reason. Now is that sort of time for us. Now, during the three weeks, and as we get closer to the time of Mashiach, we need the Parsha of Pinchas, and that's why it is read. We need to think differently. We need to think about ourselves and opportunities that present themselves differently. We need to act beyond rationale.
We need to give of our essence, even if it means that we aren't, as it were, living a very um, boundaried life, a very um, settled life. We must go beyond. We must be unsettled in order to get this job done. Very often, a person thinks, why me? I can't. I've done so many bad things in my life. I've missed all the opportunities. So let's share something from the Parsha, which gives us incredible, incredible encouragement. And we're going to share that because it's very important that we have that tool to be able to access our inner passion and our inner confidence, which might have taken a knock. So there's a beautiful, beautiful part in the Parsha where the Jewish people are counted. And amongst the people who are counted are the sons of Korach. So we immediately ask the question, wait a minute. Korach and everybody in his family was swallowed up by the earth. But the Parsha this week says, Uvnei Korach loy mesu. The sons of Korach did not die. And that's very puzzling. And the Rebbe points out as follows. First of all, our sages tell us, Rashi brings it, that the sons of Korach played a key role in the rebellion. They were swallowed up along with all the other rebels. But unlike the others, in their hearts, they repented. And so God did not kill them. What did he do with them? They were swallowed up. He prepared a cave for them. And he kept them there for all those years until the generation died out. And after that, at this point, he allowed them to come out. They came out of hiding and they resumed their place in the community. And that's why they're counted here in this census that was taken before the people came into Israel. You know, had they acted, says the Rebbe, upon their regret, they would have been spared even that punishment their survival gives us such encouragement it shows us a tremendous power of repentance even if you just thought about it and you didn't act upon it that should quiet any doubts we might have of how the redemption could possibly come in a time like ours because even Thinking about repenting. I'm thinking of putting a mezuzah on my door. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of going kosher. I'm thinking of giving tzedakah. I'm thinking of studying Torah, attending a shir, sending my child to a Torah true school. Even thinking about that might be enough to bring about the final redemption, especially as mentioned before, because the long exile has been filled with Torah study and mitzvahs that we too have studied and performed and all the martyrdom that has been suffered. And so certainly, perhaps just a thought will be enough to put it over the top. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. We are known as the people of the book. We are literary connoisseurs, consumers of words and prose, sharer of ideas, 
How about the Torah? We study the Torah and have for generations. But, in short, we are readers. Chai FM starting a book club. Would you like to be one of the Chai FM book club readers? Well, this is something a bit different. You'll receive a book every month to review on the radio for our listening community. It's social, it's fun, it's mentally enlightening. We're looking for people with a, raw, a wide range of reading topics and genres. Get in touch. Email books at chayafem.com. I'm Mashi Lipsker, and we are talking Parsha's Pinchas, the Parsha that is read during the three weeks when our hearts and our thoughts turn to the rebuilding of the Holy Temple, a time that we read about in the Torah how the people were poised to enter the land, and at that time, something happened, which was very much in keeping with the goal of entering the land, which is ultimately bringing about the time of Mashiach through settling the land, through working the land, which is also a metaphor for living a natural life. No longer would manna fall from heaven, no longer would water come from a rock, no longer would clouds of glory protect and defend and shield the people, there wouldn't be a clear, open, visible presence of God and participation of God for all to see. One would have to find it. One would also have to cultivate and bring out from the physical, from interactions, from objects, the godliness, the holiness that is inherent therein through working with it, through grappling with it, through living it, through connecting with it, but for a godly purpose. And at such a time, we each need to remember that there is so much that this Parsha can teach us for absolutely right now right now in our personal lives whenever we're reaching a goal that we've been striving for there will be God forbid thoughts that come into our mind of doubt of negativism of opposition this is the time that we have to be aware this is not a time to set limits on our dedication. We've worked so hard to come to this point. This is merely a test of our devotion for the ideals that we have been working for. Are we willing to give our all for what we believe? Are we willing to go beyond? Pinchas could have died. He knew that. Pinchas could have gained the disapproval, which he temporarily, temporarily did, of the leaders, of the people. The tribe of Shimon could have killed him. Pinchas knew that God's honor means more to him than anything else. And in his reward, we see 
that he was absolutely vindicated. He was justified, and he is blessed forevermore. Nowadays, we stand on the threshold of the final redemption. We're going to re-enter, as it were, the land of Israel, but in a totally different way. What is required of us now? It's the readiness to put everything else aside and to summon everything that we have, the best, the most passionate, the deepest, the greatest of what we have, and put it into daily life. Put it into anything that God brings our way in order to see God's purpose through to its final goal. And it's so important that we as women, for the women out there, understand that we have a special connection to God and connection to the land. And that is mirrored in the story of the five daughters of a man called Slofchod. And these five daughters presented themselves to Moshe in the Parsha, because the land was being divided and they wanted a portion as well. It was a cry of why should we or why should our father be excluded? Who were these five women? These five women were righteous. These five women were learned. These five women were wise. And these five women had a father called Slavchad who had died the year before. And he had died totally for a different reason. He had died a year before the rebellion of Kairach. He had died earlier. Not a year before this, but a year before. Um, very soon after they came out of Egypt. But he did not take part in the public rebellion. Or he repented in the public rebellion. But these girls so loved the land. These women presented themselves to the Beth Din. They came to Moshe. They came and they asked, why should we be excluded? And they worked it all out. They said, if we are like sons, give us a portion like a son, if not, they had it all worked out. They said like this. If our father had a son, he would have gotten a portion, and our father would have gotten a portion. So at least two portions. If we are not considered like sons, then our mother should um, marry our father's brother, and the child should inherit our father. And they reasoned that had that happened, the one son that would have been born then would have gotten the portion. But they precluded their mother from marrying the father's brother because they were children. So they said, at least we are collectively like a son. They were very, very learned. And they came to Moshe and they said, Ten lanu Give us a portion in the land. And the question is, these were very, very modest women. 
They understood kol kvuda bas melech pnima. The entire glory of a Jewish daughter is an inward one. How could they arrive at the base din and demand to get a portion in the land when it wasn't thought of when the land was being divided up? But their love for the land was so great. They did everything they could, even going beyond the rationale, and that's why they're in this parsha. Like Mesiras Nefesh, they figured it all out, and they knew that it wasn't the right or the acceptable, the mainstream thing to do, and that a woman should be modest, etc. But they did go. And what happened? A whole parsha in the Torah was added because of them. A law was added. In other words, they did the right thing. They they approached it totally in a modest way. There was no law before this in the Torah that a woman would get that inheritance. And neither does the Torah tell you that you now need to do this. Very similar to Pinchas. There's no command in the Torah that women should try and get a portion in the land. But they did. And Hashem responded, yes, they should not be excluded. They're speaking correctly. They will, you must give them a portion, two portions, one for their father and one for the theoretical brother that they all collectively represent. And they blazed a trail not only for women, but for the nation, because we are all compared to a wife. The connection between Hashem and his people, his husband and wife, and also like a father and a daughter, a very beloved daughter. They loved the land. And we too, as a nation, love the land. But spiritually, what does land mean? Our sages say, why is the land called Eretz? Because the land, it desires to do the will of its creator. So the word Eretz is from the word desire and from the word running. The will of a person to do the will of his creator makes him run, makes him passionate, makes him put rationale on the side very often. We are Eretz Yisrael. We are passionate. We want Eretz Yisrael. What does that mean? Not we are Eretz Yisrael. We are wanting Eretz Yisrael. We want Yisrael. What is Yisrael? When do we get that name? That name was given to Jacob when he wrestled with the angel. And that means we want to do the will of God, even if it means a wrestle, a struggle, even if we're going to have to fight. We want to give ourselves over passionately to the will of God. And we'll end with this story which will leave us with something to think about. There was a man well-versed in mysticism, Jewish mysticism, and he came to the Rebbe. In the course of the conversation, the Rebbe brought up the mitzvah of the Ahafta l'reach 
love your fellow as yourself. And the Rebbe asked him, what are you help, sorry, what are you doing to help the Jewish community? How are you helping the Jewish community? And the man answered, and I quote, I'm thinking about doing more. And the Rebbe answered, Kabbalah and Jewish law views the right side as more dominant. For example, the right hand, if you're right-handed, should be used to perform a mitzvah. That's because the right side represents chesed, giving, loving kindness. The left side, said the Rebbe, represents givura, withholding. Why then, asked the Rebbe, did God place our heart, which is the source of loving kindness, on the left side of the body? And then the Rebbe answered, you see, your heart is actually on the right side, quote, right side, because the job of your heart is to empathize, to empathize with and to care for others. So when you're facing another person from their perspective, your heart is on the right side. What really makes us a leader? What really makes us great? It's the way we use our heart. Yes, Torah study is important. Yes, all kinds of study to further, to understand, to grow, to know what to do. Our heart must be facing others. We must not forget, you shall love your fellow as yourself. Goodness and kindness will actually bring the time of Mashiach. Good Shabbos.